Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what human mind can comprehend what you did for us on the cross? Nobody. Yet this morning we thank you for what you yourself have chosen to reveal to us on that cross. Lord, help us this morning to understand, to discover, or to rediscover the true meaning of your cross. So that Heavenly Father, we will know you much more. We will love you much more. And serve you much more. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's such an honor, Rexville Lancaster, to be here this morning to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve you. As uh, Sam mentioned in the introduction, I was blessed to be born in a faraway country called Mali. I'm thankful to God for this church. I'm thankful to God for the whole denomination that we call the Christian Mission Alliance Church. Many years ago, the Lord used this denomination here in Canada and in the U.S. to send missionaries to us in the country of Mali. It's a faraway place. And I'll tell you why. It's a place where Timbuktu is located. <laughs> and indeed, it's faraway. But you did go there. It's in that faraway country that I met Christ in a small village, a dusty village to this day. Because missionaries dare to go there. They didn't want to keep the message of the cross for themselves here in Canada. And it's in that small village that my father was a pastor for 10 years for his first church. And for 10 years of my, my life, my church building was a tree. There was no clock there. So you know where I'm going with this. So, and then the next major church that my father was a pastor at, for the first time in my childhood, we were in the church building, but a mud brick house. And instead of a clock, it was a calendar at the back. So, brothers... And sisters, forgive me if I stretch a little bit of the clock that we have here. But you know what? I've been reminded that I'm not in Africa. <laughs> and especially this morning, uh, we have the communion here, and there's another service. And I have my clock here. Here, um, I told him over 40, 35 minutes over. Raise your hand. And if they have to be left over, it will be left over. Actually, I have a left over last night from my sermon. And but today, I have five more minutes, so I will try to dig in some of the left over to you here this morning. <laughs> the Lord is God in His Word. There are two incidents in the Bible, in the Old New Testament, where you see our Lord Jesus Christ so upset, angry. That anger was not an anger to destroy human beings. It's an anger of holiness. Angry 
for the sake of loving you. I love you so much. Why can you understand it? It was just that anger. It's different from your anger and my anger. When I'm angry, I want to slap this man in his face. But Jesus' anger was not for destruction, anybody. It was to love people. And the anger was, why can't they see my love for them? And one of those anger was this. When he walked in the, in the temple, he found that people, instead of making it a house of prayer, have made it a house of making money. He was upset about that. The focus today is not about that anger. The second anger is this text that our sister Karen just read. Literally speaking, you can see Jesus and Peter rebuking each other, rebuking each other. It's another sign that Jesus was not happy in his heart. Now, the question to you and to me is this. What was so important? What is so important about this cross that Jesus will get angry at Peter for Peter saying, no, you won't go there. You know, we're blessed to be in a country called Canada, and we have a beautiful flag of Canadian flag, right? For those of you who were born here for many, many, many years, back to your, you know, family background, you know what, you have grown a lot of bit to be a, a kind of cold in understanding the meaning of the Canadian flag. You just look at it, oh, it's a flag. But what does it mean for you? Sometimes we just don't get it. I'm afraid that the same apply to the cross. That we Christians in the church, especially people like myself being born in the church, we see cross every day, every day. In the end, it becomes meaningless. And it's already meaningless to many people in the world. But the shocking is, it's meaningless to many people in the church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this morning for the minute that we have, let's take a pause and rediscover for those who have already embraced the cross. And to discover for those who have never understood the true meaning of the cross. To understand the meaning of the cross, you and I have to answer a question put by Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? To get a true meaning of the cross, you and I, there's no shortcut around it. We have to answer this very important question. Who is Jesus Christ for you? And you know what? Based on that question... Do you have a PowerPoint here, please? Thank you. Accept Christ's uh, Christ cross to bear yours. That's the title of our sermon today. To understand, to accept Christ's cross to bear yours, you have to answer this question, who is Jesus Christ for you? Peter answered that question for us. Jesus is the Christ. Mark chapter 8, 27 to 30, Jesus uh, is said that uh, Jesus and his disciple went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do, you do, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, no one, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, 
Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus is God who took flesh to come and dwell among us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to celebrate Christmas soon. Jesus is God. And that God, Jesus Christ, willingly chooses to die on the cross. Wow. That's the wow part. That's the wonder part. Verse 21 to 32. He then began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. See, I have underlined, must suffer, must be killed, and spoke plainly about this. Uh, take a look to this, at this. I know English is my fourth language. I'm sorry for my broken <laughs> grammar and my accent. Um, but you know what? When you send your first missionary to us, Sandra Scott, all her Bamara was not right in Mali. And my brother who just spoke here talking about Mexico. Mexican there realize how all their Spanish is not right. But you know what? In that broken grammar in English uh, or whatever it is, God did bless their broken grammars and accent and bring people like myself here. Therefore, I pray that through this broken grammar and accent that God will take what you need today. Yes, in that Understanding, you see, must suffer. He must be killed. Jesus is saying, the cross, there's no way, you know what, to beat around the bush here. I must go to this cross. I must suffer. I must be, I must be killed. He's talking about himself. There's no other way around the cross, brothers and sisters. Why? That's the question. And to make that clear, he said, he spoke plainly about this. Usually Jesus in many ways would teach through parable. This time, I don't need parable. So that someone can say, well, I didn't understand the parable. But this time, it's plainly. Brothers, this had to catch our attention. And you know what? When finally Peter got it, he knew this was not parable. Peter was shocked by the very idea that Jesus would suffer and die. And you know what? Peter was not alone back then. Even to this day, the idea that a God would suffer and die for his people is strange. Even to this day. You see, this passage took place in the middle when Jesus was making, performing miracles, feeding the thousand, healing people. And that fit well with Peter's definition of being a God. To see God performing miracles. Yes, that's the true God. But to lay, to go down from there and say that God will suffer, will die. What kind of God is that? That was Peter's issue. And that's our issue even today. Just a month ago, part of the world was on fire because the person associated to their God was characterized in a video. They got so upset, they burned some embassies and burned some people were killed. The question is, is what would have happened 
if that God or that person associated with their God was put on the cross, the world would be on fire even here. But the good news is, that's where you and I need to be on our knees to say, wow, God, how can you accept to suffer and to die on the cross while you are God? And that's where the wonder of the cross is so breathtaking. That's where we wonder the miracle of the cross. We cannot understand it. This love for, of God for us is profound. Yes, that's what God did. And you know what? He said it's an obligation. I must. I must. And Peter, verse 22, took him aside and began to rebuke him. After rebuking Jesus, Jesus replied back. He insists. On the necessity of the death on the cross. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me Satan. He said. You do not have in mind the thing of God. But the thing of man. Why Jesus said to Peter. Satan behind. He was not telling Peter you are Satan. No. Jesus could see. Behind Peter rebuke. The work of Satan. That was it. It was Satan in the first place in the Garden of Eden who misled human being into sin. And now, knowing that he is the one who brought the human being into sin, now God is in the work through the cross to solve the problem. Satan is coming to block the solution. You see, you create the problem, you don't fix it, Someone else is coming to fix it. You say no. That was the issue. And God, Jesus could see the work of Satan behind Peter's answer. And you know, when you and I refuse the cross, we are just playing in the hand of Satan. That's what he wants. That's just what he wants. You to be trapped. In the slavery of sin, knowing very well that he will never, never offer any solution to you. And brothers and sisters, yes, understand that Jesus said that he turned to his disciple and rebuked Peter. And why did he rebuke Peter and insist on the cross? Because the answer is this, brothers, there's no salvation of sin without Christ's death. There's no salvation without Christ's death. Hebrew 9, 22, 26, and 28 tells us, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed, cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times in the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all that he, uh, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And he went on, he goes on, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ will sacrifice once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And understand, brother, that the roots of our sin in the Garden of Eden was pride. The real fruit of our problem is pride. Now, the pride that we're talking about is not the kind of pride that you and I talk about. Sometimes, our pride is between you and me. Remember that when this took place in the Garden of Eden, there were not many people around Adam. It was just Adam and Eve. 
Therefore, this pride was not between Adam and Eve. And it was not that one day Adam was taking a walk in the Garden of Eden and, and running to chimpanzee. And said, chimpanzee, why are you so ugly like this? And chimpanzee got upset and said, hey God, can you talk to Adam? He's getting proud of himself here. This pride is about the pride of the human race trying to elevate himself to the status of God. That it. Therefore, our small pride is nothing to compare to this pride. It's a pride that when human beings say, God, I want to set my own rule. And that's why we learn from Genesis 3, 4 to 7, you will not surely die. This is the serpent talking to a woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, he's talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat, your eye will be open and you will be like God. You hear it? Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they realized they were naked. So the sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Here's the problem. They got into sin. By their own disobedience. For the solution they never cried to God for help. They tried to cover themselves. They tried to get solution on their own terms. Instead of gaining wisdom as they were trying to get wisdom of God, they became foolish. Instead of discovering huh, the status of becoming God, they lost their dignity of being human beings. And you know what? And did you see Satan coming with solution here? He disappeared. Completely. And left Adam and Eve on their own. Trying to cover their nakedness. Brother and sister, understand that your sinful life will take you into spiritual nakedness. And you will try to cover on your own terms. You will never be able to do it. And see what God did. God in His grace and His mercy took upon Himself to cover Adam and Eve's shame. Genesis 3.21 The Lord God Gave, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, it was God himself. And realized in a certain way that the first time that God would slaughter an animal to try to deal with sin of human being. And that's where the sacrificial system you start to blow step by step to try to come to a solution with human being sin until the day that God himself in Hebrew take upon himself to save sinners, Hebrew 1, 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophet at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. By his powerful word, after he has provided purification for sin, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Yes, God himself 
serve and save sinners through Christ's cross. He is the one upon his own term took Christ on his, die on the cross for us. It's Christ on the cross. Brother, look at this. Jesus here was naked. It was at the cross that we sinners took Jesus' garment away from him. And the nakedness or sin was given to him on the cross. If you don't kneel down on your knees and wonder and, and contemplate that love, he was not there for sin of his own. Sin always takes us to nakedness. Not physical one, we're talking about spiritual one, but this is symbolic. That when the sinner before they nail our Lord, they say, you know what, we want to take his clothes. The day. And Christ, Jesus, God, serve you, me, the sinners, by taking our nakedness on himself. He satisfied the penalty of sin on the cross. He suffered. He died for our sins. So that you and I will be reconciled with God. So that you and I will have a new relationship with God. So that you and I will become human beings, not God. Yet godly. And brothers and sisters, sin of pride was dealt at his level on the cross. And that's why God destroyed, destroyed human pride by, the, by Christ's humility. humility. Philippians 2, 5, 11, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, brothers and sisters, understand it was on that cross that Jesus, being God, humbled himself, never tried to grab the equality of God. So that he will serve you and me. And to deal with our root, the root of our problem. Pride. And you see the first Adam was trying to grab. Study of becoming God. And this. Second Adam. God already never grabbed it. For the sake of dealing with our pride. And you know. That's where we will have to understand. That we are saved when we humbly. Receive Christ's work on the cross. Ephesians 2. 8 to 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, uh, not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one or no one can boast. Underline this boast. The cross takes down human being to humility. Christ humbled himself. And you know, we cannot talk about the cross without talking about the resurrection. Christ's resurrection assures sinners of forgiveness and eternal life. The cross is empty. 
You see, when Jesus introduced the idea of a cross that he might suffer and die, Peter just hang on on the idea of suffering and dying. And never understood that there's life after the cross. And you and I, we try to run away from cross because we think it's all about suffering. Yes, there's suffering. But the good news is, the cross of Jesus Christ points us more to look to a resurrection. That's the good news for you and for me. The cross is empty. Yes, his resurrection assures sinner of forgiveness and eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and 20 to 22. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And now, what do we do with that message of the cross of Jesus Christ? That's where you and I, bearing our cross, kick in. After Christ bore his cross for our salvation, he pointed us to our own. You see, on these pictures, you and I still have our clothes. Just to help us understand what the sharp difference between Christ's cross and our crosses. There's a big difference. Jesus Christ's cross gives us forgiveness. Your cross cannot forgive anybody. Because you're not God. Only Christ's cross gives forgiveness. But your cross and my cross have to receive forgiveness by repentance. Your cross and my cross is a cross of repentance. And you know, Peter, before we get to Peter, we have to learn this. Mark chapter 8, 48, 43, 4 to 40, uh, 38. Jesus then, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. I want you to underline that. Jesus Christ called the crowd and the disciples both. Both the crowd, the world, and the church, the disciples still need the cross. He called both. And what did he tell them? If anyone will come after me, he must deny and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of my word, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You see, in Jesus Christ, he took much two times on his own. And for plenty, three times. For our cross, we have one mass. Wow, Jesus, you've been so hard on yourself for our sake and give us one mass. A sharp difference between Christ's cross and ours. And you see, how do you bear our own crosses? We have to, to understand that. Let's go back to Peter's. You notice that after Jesus rebuked Peter, Peter never replied back in word. But you know what? Peter did reply back in deed, in words, in real action. 
Peter, finally, the day Jesus was about to face the cross, Jesus took Peter aside again and told Peter, 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 it was in Luke chapter 22, if you want to get the reference, Luke 22, you'll find it there, where Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked you to sift you as witch. But me, Jesus, have prayed for you, Peter, so that your faith will not fail. And he told Peter, Peter, when you turn back, please strengthen your brothers. You see, to bear our cross, we have to start with Peter at the level of repentance. Now, after telling Peter that I pray for you, Satan has asked for you. You know what? Peter finally went with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus told them with a few disciples, with Peter, we're going to pray. You pray here. And Jesus went furthermore and knelt down there and started to pray. A few minutes later, Jesus came back thinking that they were praying. Men can relate to this and I can tell you. Being people who have been walking the whole day, these men were snoring instead of praying. Peter, he was sleeping, he couldn't. Yet, he had told Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison and to death with you. Still, Peter was trying to save himself by his own action. But he failed to pray. And finally, when the enemy showed up to take Jesus, Peter withdrew a sword that he had and cut the air. Cut off the ear of one enemy. And Jesus took it back. And healed the man. And told Peter, Peter, put your sword back. The sword I told you about is not a physical sword. It's the sword of the word of God. And you know what? Peter still followed Jesus. And trying to find a way to save Jesus. In the end, it was a rooster that God used to break Peter's ego. Jesus had told him that before the rooster crawls tonight, you will deny me three times. And finally, when that rooster said, Peter started to cry. He wept. He wept. And brother and sister, I told you, I wonder if Peter ever eaten chicken after that. <laughs> but you and I, after this service, will go to Sweet Charlotte Christian Chicken and eat chicken. You see, Peter, I don't think Peter will be happy about that. But you see, the point is, brothers and sisters, God used chicken. And that, it was not just the chicken. What made Peter cry with the cry of the chicken was this. Peter realized that this God, this man, who had predicted that he will deny him. And when it did happen, Peter realized that he's still God. Whoa! Even in his suffering that I was trying to think, well, a God doesn't suffer. Yes, the way he confirmed his prophecy, he's God. And he's tried to cry. I don't know how many times you have ignored the voice of chicken in your life. And I do pray for those who are sincerely looking for Jesus. Don't miss out the chicken cry. And it starts with repentance. The way to bury your cross is to start to receive Jesus' cross by repentance. As Jesus says, to turn back from yourself and turn to Jesus Christ that is bear his cross. And brothers and sisters, yes, 
to end this sermon. The question is this. Will you receive Christ and carry your own cross today? In Jesus' generation, he defined his generation as an adulterous and sinful generation. And in Peter's generation, when Peter finally repented and finally got the message of the cross and cried and wept over his own sin, pick up the microphone on the day of Pentecost, his preaching was on the cross. And people came, what shall we do? He told them to repent from this crooked generation. And he defined his generation crooked. You and I have to find a way to define our generation in which we live. But whether it's Adam's generation, it is Jesus' generation, Jesus always in all generations, it's Peter's generation, or it's our generation, to deal with the root of your sin is always to come back to the cross. And the question is, and the point is, there's no salvation without Christ on the cross. Carrying your own cross and follow Christ by repenting from your own ego and by humility, humbling yourself and to serve God and the crooked world in which you live. And you know what? And to take Jesus Christ's cross and your own cross as a missionary. The world and yourself still needs this message of the cross. And this was so important in Jesus' heart. For you and for every generation that he left the church two ordinances. So important that we call means of grace. Two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And both of those ordinances always go back, look back to the cross. And as I stop here, we thank God that last week we have some baptism. Again, the cross, the message of the cross. And today, I'm so thankful to the Lord that very soon, you and I will come to this food and look, the cross is empty. And my prayer is that those who are looking, searching sincerely like Peter was doing, that whatever cock or rooster Go send to your way. Don't ignore it. If, what would have happened if Peter had ignored the cry of the rooster? Therefore, come to the table by looking to an empty cross. Because this is empty, you have nothing to lose when you embrace Christ's cross and bury yours. God bless you.